Fox fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And we've got another good show for you this week. The Ducks managed to earn a point. In each of the three games that they played, maybe not the results that we wanted, but they did get some points this week. We've also got some uh, some hot topics, some things to talk about around the league, Eddie. We've got the Vegas Knights getting in deep hot water in social media. Um, you know, a little while ago it was the Ducks, but now it's the Vegas Knights. We've got the uh, the Wild Wing statue coming back. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the expansion with uh, Seattle putting their uh, you know bid in there as well. We'll go through that process a little bit and talk about what's going on with them. So we'll also get you caught up, of course, with some fan questions and then also the uh, injury news uh, and roster moves with the Ducks. They also made a little bit of a trade uh, this last week, a minor league deal, but we'll get into that as well. So with this last week, Eddie, the Ducks played Vegas, Ottawa, and the Wild. We talked about these three games. We had hoped that they would get at least two points uh, on the best side, four, and they ended up getting four points. They um, got you know the win against Ottawa, and obviously the two losses against Vegas in the Wild. In that first game uh, against the Golden Knights, they finished up their road trip in Vegas, and the way the first period went in this game, Eddie, it looked pretty bad. I mean, the the Ducks were getting dominated. Gibson was holding down the fort. Uh, they ended up giving two goals up in the final two minutes of the period. It uh, looked kind of bleak, you know, down to nothing. And they turned it around the second period. They scored three goals. And now all of a sudden it looked like the Ducks were going to win. Instead, uh, Vegas ended up getting a goal and went to overtime. Then a shootout and the Ducks lost in the shootout. Just a really roller coaster type game, Eddie. It was definitely a fun game to watch after the first period. But what did you think about the Ducks in this uh, game against the Golden Knights? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it was like a roller coaster, like you said. I mean, the fact that they started off so slow and it kind of was a continuation from from the last time they they played the Golden Knights. This, you know, the third period in the last game where they just were too fast for the Ducks. They just outplayed them and it kind of continued over uh, into the first period in this one. And they got two late goals. The Ducks almost escaped the first period, uh, tied at zero. And then of course Vegas gets two goals in like 16 seconds. And the Ducks are down two nothing, but you know they're they're efficient in the second period, and they they made their their chances count. And they went up three two, and, and it's unfortunate the way it ended. I, you know, I don't think they really maybe necessarily deserved uh, to get two points in this one. You know, at, at times, especially in the second period, the Knights uh, they just kind of handed them the puck at, at multiple times. The, the Golden Knights had twelve giveaways in this game as well, and um, you know that second period was just awful for them, but. Yeah, you know, I think any game, especially against a Pacific Division team and a team like the Golden Knights right now, who are sitting second place in the Pacific, getting points is important, especially when you can steal a point uh, off a team. You know, it's unfortunate that they didn't get the two points and were able to gain ground. Uh, but you know, it, it continues really in, in a shootout and overtime. Overtime, the Ducks just can't—they just can't buy a win. They—they they can't figure it out. And it continued in this game, and then again in the, in the game against the Wild later on in the week, we saw it continue again. Yeah, you know, you're looking at some of these stats too. You look at the uh, the shootouts now. The Ducks have gone to a shootout six times this season, and they're one and five. So not too good as far as you know the overtime session with that. Uh, we'll talk about the overtime um, a little bit too with Minnesota as well. But in shootouts, one and five. So the Ducks also were without Hampus Lindholm in this game again. They had Megda uh, that came up and played, and you know the Ducks. 
seemed to do okay after the first period. You know, they they really uh, controlled this game a lot better. And, you know, he thought maybe they were going to win this one until they gave up that late goal in the third period. Some of the other issues that came up was the face-offs has kind of been rough for the Ducks. They only won 42%. The shots in this one, they were outshot 43-29. to 29. So <clears throat> you had some of that going on in this game. Some areas for the Ducks to work on. Definitely inconsistency, which, I mean, it's kind of been the way the season's been with the injuries, of course. So the Ducks battled this one out. They ended up getting a point. Uh, we saw Henrique get another assist in this game, so he continued his point streak, which he actually continued this whole week. He got a point, at least one point in each of these games. So that was good. And the Ducks had to turn around, and they came uh, home, and they played Ottawa. And, you know, Ottawa was struggling, so after the Ducks played Vegas, they actually came out in this one, Eddie, and they did a, a, a well, a pretty good job. I mean, they, they won this one 3 nothing. And they did everything they needed to do in this game against an Ottawa team that you know hadn't been doing as well. As you saw, Ryan Miller came in net with the back-to-back situation, and he got his first shutout as an Anaheim Duck and his 40th uh, overall. So the way to go for the Ducks to rebound after that Vegas game. Yeah, and you know I don't think the Ducks were outstanding in this game. I think it's more of a mix of, of Ryan Miller having a solid game and, and the Ottawa Senators just not being a great team at all especially as of late they, they just really haven't got things going and and I think it was even going up to this point Eric Carlson hadn't had a point for them in like eight eight games or something this was like his ninth or tenth game without a point and uh, I mean he's the catalyst for their offense and and it showed in this game he, he struggled the whole team struggled and and it was really an easy victory for the Ducks and they didn't really have to do too much effort uh, to, to win this game. I mean, this was the second game of a back-to-back, and it, it definitely didn't look like it. It looked like Ottawa was the team coming in playing their, their second game. So um, I think it was, it was a strong rebound, like you said, from the Vegas game, a disappointing loss to Vegas, and you can come in in this one and, and you know glide to a comfortable 3 nothing win. And again, I mean, Adam Henrique in this game continued his point streak, had a, had a goal and then an empty net goal uh, at the end of the game, and, and what a start it's been for him in Anaheim. Yeah, absolutely. He keeps on piling on the points like you talked about. And, you know, uh, Andre Casse, you know, after he came back from his injury, you know, he had a nice goal, too, in this game. So it's good to see him get going as well. And the Ducks, as you said, they played an Ottawa team that had been struggling, not doing as well. Uh, the Ducks actually won the faceoff battle in this game. Neither team could convert on the power play in this one. And the Ducks ultimately ended up winning 3 uh, nothing, shooting out, um, sorry, shutting out Ottawa in this game. And also, you know, we should note that Ryan Miller with his 40th shutout victory is the second all-time among American-born goalies. Of course, number one is your favorite, Eddie, uh, Jonathan Quick. So he's uh, still number one, but uh, Miller's tied in second there. So outstanding performance by him and by the whole team after the uh, back-to-back scenario. Yeah, and he's he's really been a, a strong pickup for the Ducks. Uh, I mean, he's really coming in and he's solidified that backup position and, and given them something they didn't have last year. You know, last year it was John Gibson, and that was pretty much it. And now this year with Ryan Miller coming in and being 100% healthy, it's really been a relief to, to you know to go into those back-to-back games and, and say, well, you know, Gibson's going to play this one, and then we're probably going to lose the next one. So it's nice to have a guy like Ryan Miller who can come in and give the guys some confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if you look at the, what he's done this season, you know, he's either won in regulation or lost in some kind of overtime. So, you know, he still hasn't lost in regulation for the Ducks. So it's definitely been a good pickup for him, especially now that he's healthy as the team keeps on going. And that's what they did. They uh, 
face the Minnesota Wild next at home. And, you know, this game, it looked like the Ducks were going to do okay. You had Wall scoring early in this game. Uh, they played pretty good in the first period, pretty good in the second period. They had some mistakes that happened at the end of the second period in this game in which Minnesota was able to capitalize on and take a 2-1 to one lead. And then we saw Henrique score again. And this game, able to send the game to overtime, the Ducks go to the 3-on-3, three three, and unfortunately they lose in the 3-on-3 three three again. And they, like we talked about, they picked up a point, Eddie, but they weren't able to get that second point in the uh, extra session. Yeah, they, they just really weren't able to close out the game again. And, and that's what we talked about when they when they went into the game against Vegas, not being able to close it out in the shootout. Um, and three-on-three three overtimes were a problem last year, and, and there's still a problem this year. Um, it was a bad play that led to, you know, Dunbar essentially just skated right through everybody and, and scored a, a pretty easy goal. So it's disappointing, you know, to, to, to again lose out on a point that you thought the Ducks could, could have, you know, escaped away with in this game. So, um, you know, at the end of the year, it's going to be interesting to see if, if these games where they can't close them out, these points that they're missing out on are going to come back to hurt them. Yeah, that is true. I mean, they, they do keep getting points, which is better than getting zeros. But like you said, you know, if they're going to end up short on the playoffs by a couple of points, it is definitely something to see. Because you look at the Ducks in overtime this season, they've gone to overtime or shootout uh, nine times, and they're two and seven overall. They're one and two in overtime, and they're one and five in shootout. So obviously not, not a good record, which we've known in the past they haven't done as well. So it's something that the Ducks are going to have to work on, obviously. And we'll have to see when they get some more of the players back if that's going to improve as well. I do want to mention this game, though. One, one nice play that did happen, Eddie, was um, Adam Henrique's goal. You know, when I was watching it there in person, uh, Corey Perry drove the net. He went down. From where I was sitting, it looked like Henrique had picked up the puck and then shot it in, which it was a nice play. But if you go back and look at the replay, this was a really good play by Perry. If you see it, he's on the ice after he falls down concentrating still, hit, hitting the puck off the backboards and bouncing it directly to Henrik to knock it in. So I just thought that that was a great play by Corey Perry in this game. You know, he's, he's going to the net. He's not getting as many goals, but we still see him getting assists and still helping out the team. Yeah, and, and he's really changed up his play in the last couple seasons. Uh, you know, last season was the, was the first season where the goal scoring really wasn't there and he focused more uh, on the playmaking and, and picked up more assists than we're, than we're used to him seeing. And he's he's kind of continued that trend this season. I, I mean, he is leading the Ducks in points right now with 22. Um, Raquel's been injured for a couple more games, so I'm sure he'll he'll jump back up into the lead. But you know, Perry does have 20. Uh, sorry, 16 of his 22 points are assists. And I mean, normally we'd like we'd probably see it the other way around uh, a couple seasons ago, where we'd have 16 goals and six assists, and that'd be something we're used to. But you know, I think it was a great play. Uh, he, he was falling down, like you said, be, being able to bounce it off the boards and, and get it to Henrique, and it was an important goal. It was a game-tying goal, and it sent it to overtime, and it got the Ducks a point. So you, know, you can't really blame him for, for the effort he puts in every game. Yeah, exactly. He's just not scoring as much, but still helping out. And, you know, with that uh, goal there by Henrique, too, that's now you know six points he's had in five games. Uh, which is the second longest record for a, a Ducks player, you know, starting their career as far as uh, point streaks go. Number one, of course, is Tane Solani, 15 games back in the 95-96 season. You and I don't think Henrique will beat that. <laughs> He's going to have to go another 10 games just to tie it. But you have to like the way that this trade has worked out. It's early, but so far, 
you know, it's it's gone well because Vatnin's not been doing so well in New Jersey. He hasn't scored any points. He's a minus five over there. We get Henrique. He's gotten six points in five games. And, you know, he's been thrust into the spot, you know, being in the top six and, and arguably the top line too. And so far it's worked out. I mean, the Ducks, uh, you know, haven't been winning all these games, but they're still getting points. And, you know, that's better than getting nothing. Yeah, and, you know, I, I definitely don't think he continues the streak, like you said, and, and really threatens uh, Timu's spot uh, at number one. But, you know, it's been a great start. It's undeniable. He has six points in five games. He, he's been one of the Ducks' best players in that stretch. Um, and then you look at Vaughn, and like you said, in, in New Jersey, being a minus five, having no points, hasn't really got much going there so far. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him to succeed. He's arguably their number one defenseman now, so it, it's a lot of pressure. But, yeah, I mean, Henrik's just has been great, and if he can continue, you know, it's just probably not sustainable his play right now, but if he can continue doing some what if, what, that he's doing now when, when uh, Getzlaff and Kessler come back, I mean, that bodes well for the future for the Ducks, especially this season and leading into next season. If you can run in with Getzlaff, Kessler, and Henrik as your top three centers into each game, you know, that's that's a hard thing to, to match up against. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what we've been talking about, too, and all, all those players are able to come back, and the Ducks have those three. I mean, it's it's going to look good, and then you also have Bermette, too, in there as a center. I mean, the Ducks are going to be extremely strong once they can get you know healthy. Um, and with that too, there, you know, there's a lot of moves that kind of happened uh, too this past uh, weekend, if you if you will. The uh, day that they played Minnesota, the Ducks made a, a trade. It was a minor league trade; it wasn't a big deal. But the Ducks traded Spencer Abbott from the Gulls to the Devils uh, minor league team for future considerations. I don't know how you put considerations on the back of a jersey, but that's what the trade was for. So we, we haven't heard, you know, who's coming back, uh, you know, in this trade, Eddie. But I did think it was kind of interesting. A lot of people did hit me up about this, Eddie. What did you think? You know, they sent. You know Spencer Abbott from the goals away, and you know he was their leading scorer down there. So it's kind of kind of interesting why that move was made. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it kind of seems like it's a, an extended piece of uh, of the Henrique trade. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously it, it could just be coincidence, and it, it's a trade that was made um, on its own. Uh, but when you get, you know, like you said, when you trade away a guy who's doing well for the goals down there, and, and you get back future considerations and, and nothing that's going to help you in, in the meantime, uh, it is a little bit interesting. Uh, I'm in the opinion that I believe it. It, it is has something to do uh, with the Henrik trade. Uh, Henrik trade, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I it just be it would just be weird if it if it didn't. I mean, when you're trading a player who's doing well away. Uh, for future considerations, which is most likely just going to be either cash considerations or a sixth or seventh round pick or, or something of that nature. It's not going to be anything big, probably not going to be a player coming back to San Diego. So it was definitely interesting to see. Yeah, you know, you touched on it too, and that's what some other people had hit me up about on this trade was, was it part of the Henrik trade? And so far, we haven't heard officially that it was. I mean, it, it would kind of make sense if it was, in fact, a, you know, a component of that trade. But I know a lot of a lot of fans, especially those of you that are in San Diego or, or you know, you're following the goals uh, a little bit closer than maybe the Ducks, you know, were not happy because Spencer Abbott was doing so well for the team. So I feel you. I I was kind of surprised too because we had kind of caught wind of this trade in advance and then we were trying to figure out what the other side of it was and then when it came back is that it was just future considerations it was kind of weird so 
we'll have to kind of monitor that trade. <clears throat> I don't know if it's you know necessarily part of the Henrique trade, but I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if it's somehow something that was worked out that way. Because otherwise, it, it just it doesn't really make sense, um, if, especially if it's just going to be some kind of draft pick, Eddie. Yeah, and like yeah, exactly like you said. You would expect a deal if it was separate for, for a player to come back uh, and maybe not at the same quality, but at least to have an impact and, and help the San Diego goals in the short term. Um, and, and it could have something to do with the fact that, again, uh, when you look at the trade, it was pretty much a, a swap for Vatanen and for Henrik and Blandisi with the third-round picks kind of canceling out and the, the Henrik one even being a conditional third-round pick. So it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if it was more like Vatanen, and Abbott and the third for Henrik Blandisi and the third, and it kind of, you know, in a way it kind of evens out a little bit more and makes the trade seem a little bit more realistic. So I think that's most likely what it is. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more come out on this trade in a couple of days, but again, it's not like it's a blockbuster. It's not like you know we're we're on the edge of our seat waiting to to hear uh, what this trade entailed. No, definitely not. It was just kind of sneaky because it happened right, uh, believe right before the Minnesota game. So it's kind of weird timing. But you know, another move that the Ducks did make too involving the goals was Andy Wolinski got called up, so he's going to join the team uh, this week. We don't know if he's going to play, and the Ducks also sent Jared Bull on waivers. Uh, hoping to get him signed down to San Diego. I know you're all cheering out there. <laughs> the comments on Twitter were pretty hilarious when it was announced that he was placed on waivers. Eddie, people were talking about Christmas coming early, uh, you know, dancing, and 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 <laughs> it was just funny. It was just funny to see the comments, you know, the the finally comments and and whatnot. So, uh, I mean, I guess it's something that all of us have talked about. We've been surprised at how much he has played on the Ducks, and I think now that the Ducks you know, made this trade and they're getting players back, um, like we'll talk about too in a little bit, Silverberg and Getzloff are supposed to play this uh, upcoming week uh, as well. So it kind of makes sense. they got to make room. And, I mean, that's, you know, finally, basically, that's what everyone else has been saying. Yeah, and it's, it's what a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. So something that normally you wouldn't see a lot of excitement about got uh, a, a little bit heated uh, on Twitter, that's for sure. I mean, he's kind of uh, an enigma uh, on this Ducks team. Uh, you either love him be- because he sticks up for your teammates, and then the majority, I think, uh, of people don't like uh, the fact that he's on the team. The you know the grit factor, as a, as a lot of people call it. Uh, he doesn't really contribute much to the Ducks lineup, but that so he's he'll be going down to the AHL, and like you said, uh, Andy Walensky is coming up. Uh, the only issue I have with that is is what does this mean for the status of, of Hampus Lindholm in, in the short term, at least, and, and in going into the, the this week and next week? Is you know normally you would think if he was ready to come back, you wouldn't see a guy like Andy Wilinski come up, and, and you know he might not play because you've got guys like Jacob Magna who is still up, uh, Kabinian Holzer, obviously Boschman and Bieksa that could fill in that bottom pairing. But yeah, it, it does raise some questions for for the short term and the long term on what is the the status of Hampus Lindholm. Yeah, it's weird because if you look at the the Ducks website, they no longer have Hampus Lindholm listed on the IR, which we knew when it came out, based upon uh, it being the you know the, it has to be a one week on the IR that he would be eligible to come back and play uh, in the game against uh, Carolina. So. We don't know yet. Obviously, once once the game time gets closer, we'll probably figure that out. But the Ducks still have several other players on the IR. Uh, it looks like they're going to get uh, Silverberg and Getzloff back for this game against Carolina. 
Uh, like we said, uh, Lindholm status up in the air. And then the Ducks are going to go on a road trip. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough one, Eddie. They're going to face uh, the St. Louis Blues, the Washington Capitals. They're going to face the Devils and Botnan. They'll see again uh, the New York Rangers, the Islanders, and the Penguins. So the Ducks, you know, can't look past Carolina. Obviously, got to you know win this game, but it, it's going to be tough. You know, this, this road trip isn't going to be easy. I think getting Getzloff and Silverberg back though is going to help tremendously. Uh, you know, I'm looking this week. At least these three games coming up, it's going to be tough. I, I hope the Ducks get four out of six points this week, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if they don't get as many as that, you know, depending on how Getzloff does when he comes back too, that's going to be a huge factor this week. Yeah, and you know they do have to just focus on the Carolina game right now. It's the the last game of this mini homestand. Got to focus on on starting uh, this week, right? But but yeah, this this six game road trip going up in, until Christmas is going to be difficult. And we talked about it on the last last podcast. It, it's almost in a way, it's it's kind of early to say this, but it almost in a way is season defining. If they completely tank on this road trip uh and and come out of it poorly with with you know only maybe one or two wins if that uh it's gonna be hard for them to get back in the mix i I mean right now they're sitting at uh, 12 11 and 7 you know if you lose a majority of these games you're below 500 and you're sitting at over you know 36 games played almost halfway through the season so it's difficult it's a tough one i mean you're going in you're playing against st louis uh, on the first game of the road trip uh, that's always a difficult match, difficult matchup, especially this year. Um, obviously, they're going to be without Jaden Schwartz. With the news came out today that he's on the IR and, and he's out for at least six weeks. But you know they're, they're still a very difficult team. And, and you know if the award goes to any team for having the best offseason acquisition, I think it has to go to St. Louis for the acquisition of Braden Shen. Um, I mean, he's if if you look at the the last few years, if at any team who's made an acquisition, and, and I think. St. Louis has to get the award for for the best. I, I haven't seen an acquisition come in and do so well, and, and surprisingly so well uh, that Brady Shen has done in St. Louis. So that's that's going to be a difficult matchup. And, and then again, like you said, it doesn't get easier from there. You go in and you play Washington. Ovechkin's starting to heat up again, uh, and he's already at 21 goals, so he's leading the league. And then you go and you face Vatanen with New Jersey, and a back-to-back you face New York the next night. And then you finish off with the Islanders and the Penguins. I mean, you're facing some of the best of the Metropolitan Division, and you start off against uh, the top team in the Western Conference. So it's a tough one. And like I said, it's almost season-defining, so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this. Yeah, and like we said, one part is looking at the lineup, too. Um, You know, uh, Eric Stevens tweeted out that if Silverberg and Getzloff do, in fact, come back against Carolina, which we're, we're expecting, that they're looking at Raquel, Getzloff, and Perry on one line, then Cogliano and Silverberg with Henrique in the middle. And I know some people didn't necessarily like that. They liked Henrique staying with Raquel and Perry. What do you think, you know, about these uh, top two lines for now, if that's what they're actually going to be uh, coming up this week? You know, we talked about it again last week as well, how uh, when Getzlaff comes back, it'll be interesting to see who he plays with, and it would be kind of based off of, um, how well Henrique is playing with Perry and, and with Raquel. And, and, I mean, so far, Henrique and Perry have done very well together. And then, obviously, we talked about Henrique's impact in his first five games. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they line up in Carolina and, and really how they want to distribute the lines. Obviously, Getzlaff uh, is their number one center, so you could see a shift and in, in where they decide to put Raquel and Perry with, with Getzlaff and load up on, on the first line and then move around Henrique. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I would personally like to see Henrique stay with Perry. I think they've done 
really well together since they, they've been put together. Um, and then let Getzlav ease back into the lineup, maybe even put Getzlav with Raquel and, and maybe somebody like Kasha. And, and I think that could work out well. But, you know, in, in all honesty, I would like to see, for the time being, Henrik stay with Corey Perry. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that some people had talked about and commented too today, like you talked about. They were looking at this and they were saying, you know, you can adjust the wing spots, but do Raquel and Getzloff together, do Henrik and Perry together, and then kind of work it out from there, whether you're going to put in Kase in there, Richie, Cogliano, Silverberg, you know, how are you going to work them in there? So I agree with you. I think that's the way I would approach it. Obviously, you know, from what we're hearing, that's probably not going to be the case but of course things can change you know we'll, we'll find out obviously as it gets closer to the game uh time against uh, carolina and then of course the ducks will have a couple days off to rest before they play uh, st louis as we mentioned another tough matchup so look for that look for the updates we've you know post them as as we know that they come about we often check the ducks website because you know with all this injury news you got to go in there and look at whose name has the asterisk next to it and um, th- that's usually what we do is, as we mentioned, Hansel, Hans- Hampus Lindholm is off of the uh, IR, but we don't know if he's going to be ready to go, at least in this Carolina game. So uh, with that, we'll get a couple of fan questions and kind of some of our, I guess, hot topics, Eddie, around the league, some things that have been going on um, that we'll talk about. I guess one of the big ones we can talk about is the uh, the Seattle uh, you know, possibility of them expanding. You know, the uh, expansion fee was five hundred million dollars for Vegas, and now they're talking about six hundred fifty million, Eddie. And uh, let's talk about Seattle. Uh, you know, in the process, where are they at as far as trying to uh, you know bring the NHL uh, up to them? They're at the same point, uh, really the the birthplace of of where you you are to, to start an expansion. It's where Vegas started. Were they able to? Um, to, to run a season ticket drive and, and get things going to, to see if they can if, if they were ready for, for an expansion team and that's essentially where Seattle is right now so they signed a memorandum on uh, of understanding on a 660 million dollar renovation of key arena which is where their their current team the WHL's Seattle Thunderbirds play so they're going to be renovating that arena to make sure it's it's NHL ready and uh, com- the commissioner Gary Batman uh, has announced that the league has authorized the ownership group to file an application for expansion and that would mean that they would begin play in about the 2020-2021 season so it's interesting i think it's it's kind of the way everything is developed in seattle uh has has been an interesting topic there was talk about them around expansion when vegas was getting a team and then things had cooled down uh they weren't able to get things going on an arena and and it was looking you know, kind of murky if, if, if a team was ever eventually even going to go to uh, to Seattle. And, and now with this going, it, it almost looks inevitable to me. I, I mean, I think their season ticket drive is going to go well. I mean, it, it went well in Vegas, and I thought it was going to go bad. So now the fact that I think it's going to look good and go good in Seattle, it's probably going to go bad. But, you know, I think, <laughs> I think this team deserves another major league franchise. I think hockey work will work very well there, obviously. Uh, Key Arena has been home, like I said, to the the WHL Seattle Thunderbirds for a while now. So uh, I, I think it'll be, it's, it'll be good, and it, it's a good start to to getting that uh, that last team to even out the Western Conference. And you know, I'm I'm excited. I, I would love to see a, a team in Seattle. Uh, I think the rivalry with with Vancouver would be great, and it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to th- see how things go. Yeah, the other part of this too that you know you and I talked about this before on the show is. There's going to have to be some kind of realignment, at least, you know, within the Pacific Division, the Central Division, you know, in the Western Conference. You look at it right now, 
the Central Division has seven teams. You look at the Pacific, it has eight teams. So Eddie and I kind of busted out our geography maps, and <laughs> we were kind of looking at the teams in the Pacific to see, you know, Seattle should obviously go in the Pacific, granted where they would be, and and who would we, you know, bump into the Central, basically, because else you'd have nine teams and seven teams. So in order to balance it out, if you look at it, I mean, the Ducks, Sharks, the Kings, they'd all have to stay there in California, Seattle, Vancouver. Uh, so that's, you know, in Vegas, of course. So there's those six. So then you look at Calgary, Edmonton, and Arizona as the other three that could possibly get moved over. And I, I kind of, I mean, I would think it would be Arizona, Eddie. I, I know you and I talked about this because of Calgary and Edmonton and their rivalry. I would think if Seattle gets a team that there's a good chance that Arizona gets bumped to the Central Division. You know, that's the way it seems. Obviously, Seattle can't be put in the Central Division. They're too far. They're too far west. There's no. It wouldn't make sense to have them in the Central. So they have to be in the Pacific Division. And I don't think there's any way that the NHL goes about it and has nine Pacific Division teams and seven Central Division teams. It just wouldn't make sense. So then you have to look at the three teams, like you said, that can move. And it really is only Arizona, Edmonton, and Calgary. And I think it's difficult for the NHL to split up. Edmonton and Calgary into two separate divisions and, and kind of break up uh, the the Battle of, of Alberta and that rivalry and and I think that really only leaves the Arizona Arizona Coyotes is the only team that can move into the Central Division and, and you know they're not that far west from Colorado obviously it's a little bit of a stretch for some of the other teams in the Central Division and and moving them you know it's not the most ideal situation to move them to the Central Division but. You know, Detroit used to play in the Eastern Conference, so I mean, I <laughs> sorry, in the, in the Western Conference, any, anything can happen. So, um, I, I think that's the most realistic situation. Obviously, like I said, Seattle has to play in the Pacific Division. It would make no sense to put them in the Central. But um, if anybody gets moved, you know, Arizona just seems like the easiest bet. And that's what you and I are are going with. If in fact Seattle does get a team, you know, here's another thing too. Some people asked about this because they were curious. You know, Vegas the 500 million, Seattle the 650. Some people were asking, well, what was it for the Mighty Ducks back in the '93? Well, believe it or not, back in 1993, it was only 50 million. That was the expansion uh, fee, and half of that was paid to Los Angeles. A little bit of trivia: um, the you know, in order for the Ducks to split and share the Southern California market, that's the way it went down. So. A long change, Eddie. I mean, basically, multiply it by ten. You had fifty million back in '93, and then to you know five hundred just recently, and now six fifty. So even you know more than ten times uh, the amount is where we're at now, and you know just over uh, twenty years. Yeah, and and when when Gary Bettman announced the the six hundred fifty million dollar proposed expansion fee, I'm sure he couldn't help but smile. Uh, when he came up with that number, because uh, I mean, it, it's it's insane how how far it's gone, and and you know, I guess not really a short period of time, but in only about fourteen, fifteen years, it's gone from fifty million for the Ducks and up to six hundred and fifty million for for this uh, Seattle expansion team uh, that would begin playing in twenty twenty. So it, it's crazy. I mean, it's going to keep going up from there. I don't think the, the league's going to continue expanding too much. Uh, I think at max. I think you would get to 34 teams before it looks, starts looking a little bit silly. If and then after that, any teams uh, that would be added would be would most likely be relocations. But yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, eventually, uh, depending on the 33rd and 34th team, if it gets to that, the expansion fee is going to get pretty close to to a uh, billion dollars. And 
No, again, they were, they had talk of Quebec City. Of course, it always comes up when, when NHL expansion uh, is talked about, and and how a, a six hundred fifty million dollar expansion fee in in, a, in U.S. dollars would be about eight hundred million uh, for Canadian dollars, and it, and it really just takes Quebec City out of the running because I mean that's just an astronomical amount of money uh, for a Canadian franchise to to spend on a team. Yeah, I mean it is crazy. <laughs> I mean to see the direction that this league takes. You know, in these next coming years is, is definitely going to be something, you know, to keep an eye on, especially with the amount of money being involved. There's also the talk of the salary cap going up again and that the league's making more money. So if that continues, then these fees are going to go up. So who knows? But uh, if you're in Seattle, you got to be excited. It looks like a team, hopefully, don't want to jinx it for them, will be coming their way. So another uh, expansion team made the news, Eddie, the Vegas Golden Knights, and they basically made the news like the Ducks social media made the news. They uh, sent out a tweet um, a little bit different. This one was uh, talking about Nashville when they played this last week and how they they said that some of the reporters covering the team were clapping when they had scored, which uh, they've all denied, and it sounds like it's pretty much false, but that happened. They ended up deleting the tweet. Then all kinds of craziness happened, of course, on Twitter, as we all know. And everybody got upset back and forth on this. And what did you think, Eddie, on this? Because uh, there was some talk, too, that people were saying that, well, Vegas got accused of their writers clapping earlier in the season. And so now they're saying this kind of – I don't know if it was – the original part was aimed for Nashville, but then they fired this back. And uh, you saw the reaction. Obviously, some people thought it was funny, and then other people said it wasn't because you know they're you know when you're in the press box, you're not allowed to clap and cheer for your team. So there's there's that angle too. So what what did you think about this just craziness that unfolded um, this past week? It's really becoming a, a theme for for the the crew that does the social media for for the Golden Knights. I mean, they've been involved in a couple controversies this season, and you know, the latest being. Uh, the Ted controversy in in the uh, against the Boston Bruins uh, when they were tweeting out uh, misogynistic tweets on on uh, what can, that were considered misogynistic on on Twitter. So um, no, they 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 really just like to to live on the edge, and and you know we've seen that, and again seeing it here. So I mean it, it's nothing new. Um, as for for my opinion on it, I don't know. I. I I didn't know there was a rule that they they couldn't <laughs> clap for for their for their home team. I essentially their home team. I get that they have they can't show any bias, but you know it's, it, we talked about this before we even started recording. Uh, I mean, it's not like they're jumping up and and cheering and you know, getting in your face and, and being a, a regular fan. They're you know they're just clapping uh, when uh, their team uh, scored. So I I don't see an issue with it. Obviously, some people do. Obviously, the Vegas social media team saw something wrong with it so i don't know i'm sure this is not the last controversy we'll see from their social media team this year you know it started off being kind of funny and and kind of on the edge and and now the last two have just kind of been why did you do that and and you know i hope it's the end but i i don't really see it they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon yeah, you know, and that's funny that you mentioned that too, because you're right. You know, recently up until the last couple of weeks, as you mentioned, it seemed like a lot of people were very pro the Vegas social media. And now some of this stuff's come out, and now people are kind of like people are with the Kings. They're like, okay, some of your stuff's edgy and it's funny, but some of it's a little bit too far. So now it seems like they've gone overboard a little bit too much, and now they're trying to have to reel themselves back a little bit. 
You know, and what was interesting too is before this, I saw people saying that they weren't being edgy enough. So, I mean, it's like, how do you find that balance? It's, it's, it's I think it's just very difficult in social media. I mean, you just have to, you have to be careful what you say, uh, because of this whole thing here, it implies a certain rule. And if it's true, then people could get in trouble, which, you know, to me, taking all this stuff outside of what we're talking about, I think the rule, you know, to me, I just don't agree with that rule. I think if you're a reporter and you're there and obviously you have to wear professional attire and you have to be unbiased. I totally understand all that stuff. You can't run around cheering all crazy like us fans in the, you know, in the arena and the regular seats. I get that. But to me, if you're a reporter and your team that you're, you know, following or reporting on, you decide to clap because of a goal. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that that's that big of a deal. I mean, obviously there's some kind of rule, so it is, but I don't know. To me, it's just me. Maybe I just don't see that as being something that really needs to be that enforced. I mean, if people are going crazy running around, you know, acting, you know, a fool for lack of a better term, then I get it. But a simple, you know, golf type clap or something. I mean, I don't know, Eddie. It just to me, I just think the whole thing got blown out of proportion, as do a lot of things on social media these days. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. And, and really, where do you draw? the line on, on being edgy and, and trying to get traffic uh, and then being boring and not getting enough traffic. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who blame the, the duck social media being too boring at times. And then, you know, they, they try to get a little bit edgier and then they, this whole Ryan Kessler fiasco comes out and, and that kind of shuts that down. And, and um, you know, some teams have, have done it well for a while. You know, Columbus, their social media has been great. Uh, for a long time, and and they've been praised for for how well they've handled their their social media and their Twitter account. Um, and and Vegas, like you said, it's been kind of up and down. Uh, the way they started, a lot of people loved what they were doing, and now with these last couple of things, people are kind of getting sick of it, and 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 moving in the opposite direction. And and it's a really fine line to to work with. I mean, we talked about this with with the Kessler video. I believe it was a couple podcasts ago. Now is. You know, no matter what you say, you're you're almost always going to offend somebody. So you have to be careful the way the way you say it. So it's getting harder and and harder to to find that line where you know you have to be a little bit edgy, but you don't want to go over the edge. But then you also don't want to be too boring, and you know it just gets tougher for for these teams. I, I don't envy them at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's true. You have to be careful. I mean, we've had to be careful too on certain things. So, I mean, obviously we're not the scale that they are, of course, like you're saying, but it's, it's definitely something that it's tough. It's not easy because there's sometimes I'll, I'll tell you, you post something and you're not even intending it to be uh, uh, funny. I think I remember there was one, uh, I remember posting when uh, Kessler was going to the Vegas awards and we posted something with a little airplane in, in Vegas and him going over there and we, we didn't even intend it to be anything. Then everybody freaked out, thought thought he was getting traded, and we were like, "No, that's not what we're intending. We're just saying he's flying to Vegas." You know, so certain certain little tweets can go out there and and you know just cause a ruckus. But uh, you know, another uh, a tweet that went out, uh, maybe a couple tweets that you've seen that kind of got uh, at least Duck fans on a positive note is we've seen photos of the Wild Wing statue. Uh, at least part of it going up on social media. Um, you, if you've gone to some of the games recently, you've seen the construction right there by the team store, Eddie. So that statue that's been gone for a little while, it's going to come back. So it's, I think, exciting, Eddie, to see that. And, uh, it, and I think you and I talked about this too. It kind of leads us to more questions about what's going to happen with, you know, with the Ducks uniforms in the future and whatnot because the statue still says Mighty Ducks on there. It doesn't look too unchanged from the way it was before. Yeah, it, it kind of brings up 
the debate that we had when the the third jerseys came out with the old logo and and if they're starting to move back and towards that direction and, and obviously the third jerseys weren't allowed to be had this year because uh, of the switch over to Adidas but you know it was rumored when when the jerseys were switched that the Ducks were looking to take a different direction uh, with their jerseys and maybe going towards more orange and we talked about this way back probably in the off season. Uh, if not into last season as well, about the possibility of that and the rumors that were out there, and and now it's just kind of another step in that direction. It's you know it's kind of like why now? Why why bring this back now? <laughs> it's been gone for for so long, and now to to bring it back now, it kind of sparks that debate again. Is you know are they maybe gonna go back to the old logo, or are they just gonna bring the third jerseys back like they and maybe have those as their home jerseys? Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, maybe it also just has something to do with the fact that the Timu and, and and Paul Korea are in the Hall of Fame, and they just said, you know, it's time. Maybe we can just bring this back, and, and it was a, a staple of the franchise back in the day. So why not? You know, why not just bring it out of retirement and have it back? You know, we could be over speculating for sure, but it, it is kind of interesting timing. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think the timing is interesting, but I so far haven't heard one person upset. So I think that one thing we can agree on is we're happy to see the statue back and can't wait to see it, you know, full view. Obviously, you can only see part of it right now as they've had it covered up. So um, with that, uh, we're going to wrap up this show. As we talked about, we'll, uh, you know, post updates as we always do throughout the week. We'll see the Ducks take on Carolina. It's uh, Star Wars night. So you'll see probably some people dressed up as usual in that game. That should be a good one. Hopefully the Ducks gets uh, two points out of that one. And then the tough road trip, which we'll have another podcast in the middle of that road trip. And we'll cover your questions and go over everything about the Ducks. Let's go Ducks. See you in a week.